Hey, we're glad that you're here today. We are uh, continuing our series. We're calling this sermon series A Revolutionary Life, Embracing Countercultural Living. And uh, Michael, Pastor Michael mentioned this, but actually the number with the pledges of people who gave was around $8,000. And that, by the way, was on top of what people normally gave. And last week we had a huge offering. That was actually one of the biggest offerings that we had. So in total, it was something like $23,000 that you gave last week. So, yeah. Yeah. And see, the reason why we talk about this and we do this is because when we talk about countercultural living, maybe in America or American culture, very, we don't talk about issue of money often. We don't talk about issue of sex and sexuality often, which we will do today, to, uh, next week, and the Sunday after, or dating, singleness, or even marriage. We don't. It's like there's certain parts of our Christian lives where it's sort of compartmentalized, and the way we think of being counterculture or being the light of the world, whatever that looks like, is devoid of these critical areas of our lives. So we've been kind of talking about the hard areas of our lives. And like I said, we, we kind of finished the aspect of money or talking about money and possessions and treasure. And we're moving on, you guys. And just to let you know, starting today and the next Sunday, Sunday after, we're going to talk about marriage. We'll talk about that today. We'll talk about sex next Sunday. And then Sunday after that, we'll talk about dating or relationships, okay? Now, I've talked about, preached on sex before, uh, but again, I have some new insight that I want to share next Sunday. I've never preached on marriage in this church, so this is first time for me. And I've never preached on dating and relationships, so that'll be first time also two weeks from now. As we talk about marriage today, um, uh, there's all kinds of people out there that it'll hit at different points. There are those of you who are happily married You love your husband. You love your wife. There's marital bliss. Even as I speak right now, you're doing the whole, you know, this, and you're doing the whole, you know, holding hands, and you're lovey-dovey. If that's you, well, good for you, okay? You do your thing, and the rest of us who have hard time in marriage, and the rest of us for whom this is a hard subject, uh, I think today will be very relevant. Uh, And then there are those of you for whom the topic of marriage actually is very painful, because you're a child of divorce. And maybe you've been so hurt by it that you've said to yourself, I will never ever get married. Maybe you've even said to yourself, marriage is a difficult emotional thing for me to talk about. Maybe for some of us, topic of marriage is hard because we're in a hard marriage. We're in a tough marriage. We're at that place where we're saying, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can stay in this. Maybe for some of us, can we be real honest, we've even had thoughts of other women and other men, maybe not really serious about cheating, but they're thoughts. And then for most of us singles, this actually will be, this today topic will be more relevant to you actually, because um, I'm not just going to address married couples, I'm going to address singles actually a bunch of times during this uh, let me just go ahead and, and do a little survey. How many of you are married? Okay, so this is relevant for you. How many of you want to get married or, 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 or hope to be married at some point? Okay, yeah, yeah, see, I told you this is very relevant. And how many of you uh, could care less, but you showed up anyway, so you might as well sit through it? Okay, all right, yeah, one person. Okay, well, <laughs> 
I've got you here. So you gotta, gotta listen. Uh, look, the reality is, hopefully if I do my job, what we'll talk about today will be incredibly relevant for every single person that is here. Um, uh, let's start here, you guys. Uh, uh, the answer and the questions that we have about marriage, whether you want to be married, want to know about marriage, currently married, so on and so forth. Do you know that God invented marriage? Marriage is not a social institution that man sort of made and evolved. Marriage was invented by God, and we'll see that very clearly today. And here's why that's important. Because God invented this thing called marriage and created it, God actually has instruction manual on how to go about it. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that God created marriage for the happiness, welfare, and the well-being of his prized creation, men and women. God created marriage to reflect in a glorious way his relationship with us, Jesus' relationship with the church. Because God is clear, clear, clear truth in saying that he created it, the way to go about making it work, the way to go about being in a good one, the way to go about finding the right one. By the way, hopefully if you pay attention, I might answer some of your questions about how do I know he's the one? How do I know she's the one? God created marriage. For those of you that are non-Christians, you're not a Christian and you don't really agree with the Bible or whatever, here's something that you want. If God created marriage, that means there is truth and reality to what God has to say about marriage. So whether you disagree or not, you might learn something. So I encourage you to pay attention and hang in there, okay? Marriage. What does God have to say about marriage? Do you like marriage? Do you like marriage? I'm saying that as I look at two newlyweds, Derek and Bethany, who got married, what, like two months ago, three months ago, right? Two months ago, three months ago, okay? And they're the kind of couple I was talking about, you know, they're kind of gazingly looking into each other's eyes, and you know, I'm going to be like, guys, over here, over here, okay? Open your Bibles. We're going to look at two passages, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2. And then we're going to look at a very controversial passage, Ephesians chapter 5, okay? We'll cover both. Genesis chapter 2. By the way, if you are uh, dating somebody seriously and you are not sitting next to them right now for whatever reason, can you get up and go sit next to them, please? I'm serious. Andy, you can't move because I got to call you up. So, uh, Marion, can you come on up and sit next to Andy, please? Okay. Uh, anybody, anybody else? Let's see here. Um, is anybody else? No, I'm serious. Okay, so y'all sitting next to, okay, because as you're taking notes, as you're talking, I'm going to ask you guys to kind of talk to each other during this sermon, okay? So Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Let's look at what God's word has to say. This is creation of marriage. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for him. Jump down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, he breaks out into poetry, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh and for those of us that have good old King James version that verse literally says for this reason a man will forsake his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they will become one flesh don't you love that word cleave to his wife Ephesians chapter 5 
Paul riffs on this passage, as New Testament authors often did, and this is what he had to say about marriage. Well, we're going to start reading in verse 18 of Ephesians 5. 18, verse 18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Can we all say it together? Ready? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is God's word. Marriage. Let's just plow out through these passages, okay, and talk about this topic. As you look at these passages, there are a number of things about what a marriage is, and I'm going to just go right through them. First of all, the scripture tells us the essence of marriage. Everybody say essence. Essence of marriage. And the Bible is very, very clear that the essence of marriage is a covenant. The essence of marriage is a covenant. A man is to forsake his parents and cleave to his wife. Genesis 2.24 and Ephesians 5. The language in the Eastern culture is covenantal language. Covenantal language for severing of one loyalty and commencing of another. And it literally described a son's loyalty to his parents, which was the highest highest of loyalties and the deepest of relationships. The Bible is literally saying when you marry your wife, you, you leave that and then you commit yourself and covenant yourself to another who will now become your highest loyalty. And the Bible says he is to do this because the woman is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And that's not just merely expressing kinship. But it's expressing an oath of loyalty. You know what it is? It's the marital vibe. It's the marital vow that you hear in weddings today where you say, I promise now, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, I promise from this day forward to have and to hope, to cherish and to love in sickness and in health and richer and poorer. The Bible's definition, you guys, is that it's a covenant. That means the essence of the marriage. Essence of a marriage is that you are making a public promise. You're not doing it in the backseat of a car. A public promise in front of God, in front of the church, in front of family and friends to permanently, to exclusively, to legally commit your entire life to somebody else. Essence of a marriage is a permanent Guys, will you say that with me? Ready? Come on. Permanent. Ready? Go. Permanent 
See, ladies, the guys are like, permanent? That's exactly why I'm not married. And I'll talk about that, actually, okay? All right, you know what this means? This means here's what the essence of marriage is not. Essence of marriage is not deep affection and strong feelings. Essence of marriage is not deep affection. It's not, well, as long as I know that I'll feel this forever, as long as I know that my feelings and my affections for this person will never wane no matter what. If that's what you want the essence of marriage to be, um, go get a dog. Because here's, here's what dogs will never do. Dogs never get moody. Uh, dogs will never uh, 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 irritate you and annoy you. Dogs will never come to you and go, you know, I just don't feel like you understand me. If the essence of marriage is strong feeling, deep affection, that comfortable sweater, a dog that's always loyal to you and happy to see you, don't get married. And I'll talk more about that. Uh, uh, essence of marriage is also not sexual chemistry and sexual attraction. Come on. I mean, how long does that last? Derek? Bethany? <laughs> Sit down. I mean, come on. I mean, let's be for real, folks. How long does that last? You know what I'm saying? I mean, seriously, this is like, you don't even have to be a Christian for crying out loud. You don't even have to be a Christian. I mean, this is like common sense, sexual chemistry. By the way, because people think that the essence of marriage is sexual chemistry attraction in this country, we have something like a $50 billion industry so that people could continue to make it happen. Uh, essence of marriage is also not children and raising children. See, Christians have this notion, the cultural mandate, Right? Be fruitful and multiply. So we think the essence of marriage is children, and it's not. It's not. I've seen plenty of families with lots of children where the marriage was very much in trouble. The essence of marriage, the substance of it, the heart and soul of it, is that it's a covenant. That is, that you are making a public promise that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, I will still, if I'm alive, love you, cherish you, be tender towards you. Be faithful towards you. <laughs> Y'all feel like you're at a wedding? <laughs> yeah. nah, 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 you know. Today, most people in our culture don't understand what a covenant is. And here's what I'm kind of getting to the countercultural. What does our culture talk about rather than a covenant? We talk about a contract, right? And the reality of contracts is this. We know that some sleazy low-life lawyer will always find a loophole. Right? Always find a loophole to contracts. So what happens is that contracts are getting longer and longer and longer to make sure that there are no loopholes that these lawyers can find. But the problem is litigation continues to increase because if somebody wants out, they will get out. We live in a culture of prenuptial agreement. Now, common sense, think about this. Prenuptial agreement basically says, in case this doesn't work, if you go into a marriage saying, in case this doesn't work, how do you expect it to last? If you go into a marriage, go, 
in Jesus doesn't work, how are you going to get through the hard times? How are you going to get through the tough times? How are you going to get through it when you no longer are sexually like, woohoo, from your spouse? The thing about a covenant, you guys, is that it has no escape clause. <laughs> the women in our church are going, the guys in our church don't need to hear this. Actually, guys, can I just speak to you for a second? You do need to hear this. You do need to hear this. There's no escape clause in a covenant. In ancient times, you made a covenant two ways that are different from ours. One, you made it before God. Secondly, if you broke it, you died. (laughs) Imagine at a wedding, the bride's bride's father going, Bubba, if you... I think more marriages would stay together, don't you think? If the penalty was death... What does this mean? Singles, you ready? Here it is. If somebody says to you, I love you, but I don't want to marry you, Bible says what they're literally saying to you is, I don't love you that much. I don't really love you that much because biblically by definition, love is commitment. So a man who says, I love you and I want to marry you and be permanently, exclusively, whole life, be committed to you, loves you more than the person who says, I love you, but I don't want to marry you. Because biblically, by definition, love is a commitment for life. Your feelings will come and go. A lot of people, seriously, a lot of people in our culture don't get married because this is what they think. They think, if this is the one, my feelings will never, ever wane. If this is the one, I'll never look at that person and feel, Ew. If this is the one, I'll never get to a place where I'm like, ooh, she is hotter than I. If this is the one, I'll never, if, and you think that if your feelings never wane, that that somehow proves, that's an illusion, that is an illusion. Let me read you a quote. A Christian author. People have ideas from books that if you marry the right person, you expect to go on being in love forever. As a result, when they find that they are not, they think that this proves that they've made a mistake and they're entitled to a change. Let the thrills go. Let it die. Go on through that period of death into the greater but much more profound interest and happiness that follows and you will find that you are living in a world of new thrills all the time. But if you decide to make thrills your regular diet and you try to prolong them artificially, they will get weaker and weaker and fewer and fewer and you will be a bored, disillusioned person for the rest of your life. You know what sexual attraction and chemistry is? He's saying, it's an ego kick. It's, she's hot. Other people think she's hot. And she digs me. He's really cool. Other people think he's cool. And he likes me. Illusion. Illusion. So, if marriage is a covenant, married couples, how are you doing? You still committed? Have you? (laughs) I hope you two are still committed. Come on now. It's been three months. Okay. Still committed? Hey, hey. um, 
You could be outwardly, quote-unquote, committed because you stay in the marriage. I'm talking about your heart. You committed? Forever? Forever? Or are you bored? Are you bored in your marriage? Are you disillusioned? I don't think this is a person I was going to marry. Or is your love growing deeper and richer? As your commitment grows stronger and deeper. Singles, you will never, maybe just never, capital, italicize, you know, Helvetica, 140 point, you will never, okay? You will never find somebody for whom you will always feel like, Just, just, just say to yourself right now. Just, just tell yourself right now. I'm, I'm going to die to that. <laughs> That's an illusion. That's an illusion. Is there somebody that you can make a commitment to, but you're not because you're afraid? What if a better, per, what if a more? Uh. You know how it works, right? So you go to that person, guess what? A few months later, what if I find a... It never ends. Essence of marriage. Secondly, the priority of marriage. Priority of marriage. Again, Genesis chapter 2.24 and Ephesians 5.31. Same passage, same verse. Man is to forsake his parents and cleave to his wife. It simply reminds us that no other relationship is more fundamental than the husband and wife relationship. It is the primary relationship. Parents, your relationship with your children is secondary. Can I get an amen? We had parenting class this weekend yesterday and Lisa and Bill, phenomenal seminar by the way, parents you need to attend, they hammered this way at home. You cannot make your entire life revolve around your children. Biblically, your relationship with your husband has to be primary before your children, before your career, before your, your friends, before anything else. Why? Why? Here it is. You ready? It's not just because the Bible says so. Marriage sets the course of your entire life. A theologian said it this way. Marriage is a vehicle of redemption. What does it mean? It means that marriage has powerful influence in your life. How does that work? Here's how it works. If your marriage is strong, but all the other areas of your life is weak. For example, you're struggling with your job, your career, your other friendships, ministry. But if your marriage is strong, you can move out into the world in strength. But if your marriage is weak and all the other areas of your life is strong, you love your job, you love what you're doing, career is set, your friendships are strong, if your marriage is weak, it has the same effect. You will not be able to move out into the world in strength. You realize that marriage has incredible power to reprogram you and to recreate you? Do you know what that means? Have you ever read studies of how couples begin, couples start looking like each other? Which is great for me, by the way, you know. More like my wife. Which, by the way, you probably want to, you know, 15 years from now, do I want to look like this person? Yeah. That's just people talking about facial muscles and how people laugh, all that. But here's the more powerful. Soul, heart-wise, do you realize? Here's how it works. If your husband thinks you're beautiful, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You know and feel and walk away saying I am beautiful husbands if your wife thinks you're a schmuck 
It doesn't matter. Your boss, co-workers, if your wife thinks you're a schmuck, guess what? What your wife says, I'm not going to say you're a schmuck. <laughs> your wife says a profound influence to shape your life. Do you know? Spouse, do you know this? Do you know this? I'm being serious. I I, I can literally, I can just totally hit a home run on a Sunday morning. My sermon, right? Go home. Jenny, what'd you think? Yeah, it's all right. (laughs) Vice versa. I stung today. Man, I just, Peter, that was one of the best sermons you've ever preached. Your wife, your husband has profound influence to reprogram and to reshape your life. That's why marriage has to be a priority. Marriage has got to have priority. Married couples, is your marriage the most important thing in your life? Before career, before friends? Regardless of what you say, what does your spouse say? Do they say that your marriage is the most important thing in your life? And speaking of saying, what do you say to your husband? What do you say to your wife? Are they encouraging words? Are they words that build up or are they words that tear down? Are they words that are critical and judgmental or are they words that affirm, that build? Singles, you know what this means for you? Whoever you want to date or whoever you want to marry, are you guys heading in the same direction? Is there the same trajectory of what you want to do with your life? Not just spiritually. That's I'm going to talk about that next week. But trajectory of your life. There's two calls, right? One call is a call to be a follower of Christ, but the other call involves our job, our occupation is what we do. Your call, is there harmony there? Do you both want to be in the city or does one person say, I want to be in the country, I hate the city? Does one person say, I want to go overseas and you say, I want to stay here? Is there harmony in your call? Are you heading in the same direction? So that, here's the important thing, you can make the marriage a priority in your life. Who you become is radically shaped by who you're married to. Keep moving. Purpose of marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? This I love. You know, ultimately the purpose of marriage is to reflect the glory of God, and and we'll talk about that at the end. But here's what I mean when I say the purpose of marriage. The Genesis account, Genesis 2.18, tells us that God created Eve and the institution of marriage because Adam was alone. Because Adam was alone. And throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, Hebrew word that's used to describe wives is Hebrew word halup. Say that with me. Ready? Halup. And you know what halup literally means? It means covenant partner. It means covenant companion. That means God created marriage for the purpose of friendship. Here's what that means. Your wife is supposed to be your best friend. Your husband is supposed to be your best friend. And by the way, this has all kinds of ramifications for what you look for in your spouse. Oh, can I just tell you something? Do you know how I I literally now roll my eyes when I hear single men and single women in our church say, there's nobody in our church. There's nobody in our church? I don't know. I'm counting like 450 bodies today. What do you mean there's nobody in our church? You know what they mean? There's nobody that I'm physically attracted to. There's nobody that kind of makes me hot. There's nobody that just kind of did. 
And you have literally ruled out 95% of the people in this room. Why? Because you totally miss that the purpose of the marriage is not physical attraction and affection. The purpose of marriage is friendship. There are people in here who could be your best friend for life. To be married to your spouse means that you're absolutely vulnerable to them. This is a person that sees all facets of your life, the dark places, and you, their dark places, and yet there's unconditional acceptance. There's radical understanding. Your best friend has the ability to understand you, and you feel understood. You know what that means? That means your spouse is not just your best friend. Your spouse is your best counselor. You know what it also means? There can be no secrets in marriage. If there are secrets in marriage, that marriage is in trouble. If there are secrets in marriage, it will destroy that marriage. If there are things that you are holding back, oh, I want to know if she's good in the sack. Can she do it? Who the... <laughs> Who cares? Do you know that good sex is a result of good communication? Do you know why? Because it's only when you're able to be emotionally totally naked with somebody that you can be completely, totally physically naked with them. And if you can't get emotionally naked because you don't feel safe, you can't be vulnerable, you can't share everything, it's going to affect your sex life in bed. Married couples, am I just off the rockers in this or is this true? Somebody speak. Is it true? It's true. It's common. Look, if sex was all about just physical, two people just getting it on and changing body fluids, you don't need emotional connection. But if real sex, godly sex, biblical sex, sex that makes you want to go, that kind of sex is a result of complete and total emotional connection. And you... Spouses, do you have a best friend that's not your wife? Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about, you know, you need man friends to eat man food and do man things, you know? <laughs> you need the beer, the chicken wings. Do the man thing, you know? 3.30 day, go watch the Bears game and go, ah, we're men. Go do it, you know? Go do it, fine. Do it. I'll be doing it too, you know? But is your wife, I'm serious, your best friend? friend is your best friend wives go do your thing you know go read the books you know do the book club go shout i'm totally stereotyping now right i'm to to, you know drink your tea you know whatever do your thing right but at the end of the day but at the end of the day i'm serious at the end of the day listen listen is your spouse your best friend um this is my eighth wedding anniversary card from my wife And you guys know, you know, I never, I, never, I never get up here and brag, right? Hopefully I use illustrations that talk about how stupid and messed up I am. But this I wanted to read for you because my wife wrote this to me. Um, I asked her for permission, by the way, and uh, she said no, but, that, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah, healthy marriage, you know. 
to my forever bear. Let me just read you. Happy eighth anniversary. Sometimes I think we take for granted all the ways God has blessed us in our marriage. I thank God that you have never failed me. Not that you're perfect. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you continue to have always been the man of integrity and character. I fell in love with you. You guide and you guard our marriage and family with conviction that I can readily submit to. Thank you for learning, she puts this in quotes, how to love and care for me over these years. And here's the part, and being my best friend. That's like the highest compliment my wife can give me. Highest compliment for her to say, you still after eight years, you're my best friend. Who were you looking for? Who are you looking for? Okay. So serious in here. Let's just move on, okay? No, no, let me stay one more time, okay? Regardless of what they look like, can this person be your number one counselor? Come on, can they be your best friend? You guys have people around you that can make a wonderful husband, wonderful wife, yet yet they're not even on the radar screen because they just don't look the part. I don't mean this in an offensive way, but can I just say this? Grow up. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) And I'll come down and go, grow up. Okay. Hope of marriage. Hope of marriage, okay, and this is the longest section. Let's go on to the hope of marriage. Ephesians chapter 5. Oh, I love this. Ephesians chapter 5. I love controversial passages. Has, has a passage been more controversial? You hear the word submit. How many of you hate that word, submit? Oh, yeah. Oh, you notice, no man has raised his hands. <laughs> oh, no, we men like submission. You know what, this, this passage and that word has been so ridiculously butchered in the church. I don't blame women for going, ah, sub-. I don't blame women as I take people through premarital counseling going, I don't like that word. Why? I just don't. Why? Do you know what it means? No, but it's a nasty word. How do you know it's a nasty word? I don't know what it means. Did you know that this passage is really not about God's instructions to women, but men? Do you know that command to the women is only 43 words long, and the command to the man is 137 words long in this passage? It's really speaking to the man and not the woman. The word submit. Did you know that it's a combination of two Greek words, hupo and tasso? Hupo literally means under, and tasso means to place in order. To submit literally means to place yourself under. But if you want a a better sort of practical implication of what that means, to submit means to give allegiance to. To submit means to tend to the needs of. To submit means to be responsive to. And here's the key for this entire passage, and this is already something that you know, just just, just say amen. The passage says that submission is something that we all do. The first time the word submit appears, and by the way, the only time in Greek it appears is in verse 21, where God says submit to one another. You go, what about verse 22? Wives submit. In Greek, original language, the word submit is not even on there. It literally says wives to your husbands. 
He didn't know that, did you? So ladies, when guys go, submit, you go, stupid idiot. It's not even in the verse. Submit is one another, and it says, out of reverence for Christ, and that word out of reverence, and we'll talk about the second implication, but the first implication is, is literally like Jesus did. Submit like Jesus did. In other words, the call to follow his example in his sacrifice, in his giving his life for ours, in his death. You know what submit means? Die to yourself. So that others can live like Jesus. Die to yourself, your goals, your desires, your wants, your wishes, your whim. Die to yourself so that others can live like Jesus. In order to understand the biblical concept of submission, you know where we have to start? We have to start at the heart of the Christian faith that tells us simple truth that people are worth dying for. Everybody say this with me. I am, come on, I am worth dying for. I saw Saving Private Ryan again this week. And every time I come to that part at the end, you know, where Tom Hanks, the character of the captain, has taken his men to save Private Ryan at the end. You know, he gets shot and he's sitting there shooting. And Saving Private Ryan comes close up to him because he knows that these eight men have risked their entire life just so that he can live. And he is staring into the eyes of somebody who literally gave himself. And Tom Hanks says, earn this. And I just start crying. <laughs> I just, just weep. Why? Because whether we actually were there, when we see or hear about somebody giving his life or her life for someone... There's something within us that says, that is right. There's something in us that wells up and that says, that, that's right. There's an innate, inherent thing in all of us, Christian or not, that says that people are worth dying for. People are worth dying for. That's why Jesus said there's no greater love than this, that he laid down his life for another. We know this to be true. People are worth dying for. You know this to be true. People are worth dying for. And the teaching of this passage literally says, love and serve those people around you, placing their needs of your own out of respect and reverence for Christ, who gave his life for us, the ultimate sacrifice. Submit. What does it mean? Die to yourself. Because they're worth dying for. So that they can live. It's the most fundamental thing of the Christian life. Jesus says, whoever shall follow me, carry the cross, die to yourself, because in that dying, you will really live. Can we just be honest here? There is no life in selfishness. Life stinks when it revolves around you. You think it's good. You think it meets your needs, but you and I both know that when we finally connect with something larger than us and give our lives for something larger than us, and we live our lives in such a way that people are worth dying for, we come to life. Verse 22. Let's go in just through these landmines. Again, verse 22, it literally says, wives, to your husbands as to the Lord. The word submit's not even in there. In other words, the wife isn't commanded to do anything different from anybody else in this passage. Not the husband, 
uh, Christians, nothing else, placing the needs others ahead of her own, especially her most significant relationship with her husband. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the, of which he is the Savior. And by the way, again, another verse that's totally been misabused, the word head in Greek literally means kephale. It says kephale, literally means head. And, and, and we could spend hours analyzing what does that word literally mean, head. But here's the larger point that the, that, that, that the Bible is making. The husband is supposed to be, look, and act like Christ as the head of the church. What does that look like? Verse 25 spells it out for us. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, your headship comes from not the fact that you were born a male. Your headship comes from the fact that you die so your wife can live. Your headship comes from the fact that you sacrifice your all so that your wife can live. That's where your headship comes from. That's where your headship comes from. This is the reason why once in a while when I get a husband who comes and says, My wife just won't submit. (laughs) You think guys don't do that? Are you kidding? Oh, no guy in our church, by the way. I'm talking about other churches, okay? (laughs) She won't submit. And you know what he means? He means she won't obey me like a dog. Like she won't do what what she says, what I say. And she won't just, and I just go, do you know what the word submission means? Because see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You ready? When a guy waits for the wife to submit so you can lead, you're not actually leading. When you wait for your wife to submit, to do what you say, so you can be a leader because you have some convoluted notion of what a leader means, you're not being a strong leader. You're weak and you're misguided. You have no right to tell your wife to do anything until you are willing to die so she could live. Until you die so she could live. Ladies, can I speak to you for a second? How would you respond to a man that you know would die for you? How would you respond to a man who you know without shadow of a doubt would be willing to give his anything and do anything for you? My answer's pretty clear. I don't know a single woman who says, show me a man like that and I will gladly give my all and submit in the biblical sense of the word. What about the tough decisions, Peter? Premier counseling. Well, what if we both kind of mutual submission, but what if we come to a, somebody has to make the call. Where does the buck stop there? Yeah, yeah, think of your close friendships, right? Your closest friendships. How often do you go, well, when, when we get into a confrontation, well, when both of us come to that, well, when push comes to shove, who makes the, do you, do you do that? No, why? That kind of friendship has reserves years of trust and love. And you're not talking about who's authority, who has. You only do that when your marriage is in trouble. Only do that. I've never seen a marriage where mutual submission, people abandoning themselves for the sake of the other, people literally giving their all and the other giving them all. Where they sat, now when push comes to shove and ultimately somebody has to, never comes up. 
I just finish this. In verse 25, uh, you are to love your wives as, 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 as Christ loved the church. And the word love there, which I'll talk about more two weeks from now when I talk about dating, is the word agape. Everybody say agape. Agape. Agape is biblical love, love that God has for us. Love in our culture is a need. Love in our culture is something you get from somebody. Agape love is opposite. Agape love doesn't receive. Agape love gives. Agape love sacrifices. I've been in enough counseling sessions to run into cases like this. Imagine a wife whose husband lets her down again and again and again and again. And she's tired of being let down again and again and again. So she subconsciously keeps a scorecard. When he does well, she comes close. When she does well, she's physically affectionate. When he does well, she gives himself. But when he doesn't, she withdraws. She stays away. It's almost impossible for them to have communication even if when they do because love isn't agape. It's conditional. It's what do you do for me? How have you acted lately? Agape love comes and says, there's a love because, there's a love in order to, there's love for the purpose of, and then there's love, period. Agape love says, I don't need a reason. I don't need a reason. I love just because. Just because. Husbands, guys, can I talk to you for a second? You're looking at a fallen, messed up, lots of issues, man. I will be the first one to stand up here and say this, but I need to say something to the men in this church. When will we rise up and be the kind of men that the scripture calls us to be? When will we stand up and be the kind of man that women can look at and go, there goes a man who looks like Jesus. What are you waiting for? The right woman to draw that out of you? Ladies, can I speak to you, please? I'm done picking on the men, okay? Ladies, can I speak to you? And please listen if you've listened to nothing else. Because I'm very well aware that we have more women in our church, single women, than men. Say it with me, ladies, loud and clear like you mean it. I am worth dying for. I am worth dying for. Don't ever give yourself to a man who is not willing to die for you. Don't even go near somebody who is willing to give none of himself but wants all of you. Single women in our church, you do not need a man to validate you as a woman. Single women in our church, your worth doesn't come from who you have next to you. Single women in our church, your worth doesn't come from how beautiful you are, or how smart you are, how much you put out. Our culture wants to tell you that, but your worth comes from the fact that you have inestimable worth simply because God created you. Your worth doesn't come from who likes you and who digs you, and your worth doesn't certainly come from who you have next to you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? 
You will be tempted in a thousand different ways in a culture to say, my value comes from what I look like. My value comes from what, what, how much money I make. My value comes from who is my boyfriend. My value comes from all those things. And if you fall into that lie, you will struggle for the rest of your life, failing to realize that your security, your worth, and your strength comes from the fact that you are a child of God. Ungodly men have a radar for women who find their identity and security in men. Ungodly men have a radar to pick out in a room. Uh, She's going to give a little bit of herself. All I need to do is just kind of have her look at me as her security. Can I get even more personal? Ladies, There are some of you in here, and this is during counseling sessions, there are some of you in here, you play the trade game with men. You negotiate. You've learned that if you gave a little bit of your body to them, that they'll give a little bit of something to you. You know, they kind of have what you want, and you kind of have what they want, validation and worth. And so you've compromised over and over again and, and, and you've been in that situation where you go, this isn't right, but just so that you could feel validated and worth something, you stay with him. And sex has become a search for you, search for something unfulfilled. Can I just tell you something? Sex is never a search for something. Sex is an expression of something that's found. Intimacy between man and wife in the context of a totally committed relationship are you dating somebody what kind of a man is he is he somebody who's willing to die for you and the world is he somebody who wants to serve or is he somebody who acts like life owes him something you know he got the short end of the stick and so he's always complaining what kind of a man is he have you taken him to a family reunion how does he react around people that he doesn't like Does he have agape love running through him or is he out to always get, get, get? What does he expect of you, ladies? The guy you're dating, does he expect you to sleep with him when he hasn't committed himself to you forever? Does that man want all of you without giving all of him? Can you be vulnerable with him? Can you open up to him? Do you feel safe knowing that he'll not exploit your vulnerability but protect you. Have you heard this phrase? Women open up like a flower. When there's a man who loves her as she deserves to be loved. Are you opening up like a flower in that relationship? Or are you dying? And if you're scared this morning because you're sitting there going, I know he's not the right guy, but... I don't know if I can find somebody better. That tells you right there, you need to walk away. Walk away. Do you know why this text talks so much about man dying for the woman? Guys are scared to death of commitment. Here, I said it, okay? Guys are scared to death of lifelong commitment, infidelity, and all of that. 
But that's part of the reason why men in our culture would rather have sex with lots of women because sexual conquest makes them feel like a man without actually having to be one. Sexual conquest makes a man feel like I'm a man without actually having to be one because real men, real men die so others can live. Why would we want to get married then, Peter? What hope is there in marriage? There's all such things. How the heck are we supposed to make this work? My marriage stinks. You know where the hope comes from? You know where the power comes from? This is why I want to end with this. The power and hope. I'm not going to let you guys go on and go, go, go find that person. Go work on your marriage. Go do it. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You know where the power comes from? This entire section, Ephesians 5, and please, please, please look up and pay attention. If you're feeling hopeless, if you feel discouraged, if you feel like, is this going to work? Paul begins this entire section by unlocking the key to power for marriage, which is verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. Everybody say that with me. Be filled with the Spirit. Do you know why being filled with the Spirit is the key to marriage? Because the only way you can submit is not effort, discipline, because he told me so, because it sounds good. The only way that you could submit, which is die to yourself, is when the Holy Spirit has filled you. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit has filled us? Remember we talked about this. Much more than a supernatural working of the Holy Spirit coming and filling us and giving us power and anointing to do ministry and to, and to do, do, do amazing things. Filling of the Holy Spirit is when literally the Holy Spirit is so alive and present in our lives that the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is to come to us and speak to us truth of who Christ is and what he has done And the value and worth, identity and security that we have in Christ, when the Spirit gets a hold of that and when that becomes alive and real in our hearts so that it moves just from Christ died for me, I find my identity secure to Him so I don't really need to find that in Him or when that reality so comes and transforms our hearts that we are awed by what Christ has done for me, for me. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. For me, so awed by what Christ has done that we don't find our security in our husbands and our wives and our relationships. We're able to love the difficult to love, the broken and the messed up because we have been filled with his infinite love. We have tasted his love. We have tasted of his loving kindness and we can, as a result, love. That even when we are unwilling to die to ourselves, the power of the gospel comes to us as the Holy Spirit fills us and reminds us Speaking of truth, that it is only when we carry the cross and die that we can live. That's what it means. I point to the cross every Sunday and I say again and again and again, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, when you see the cross and think about what Christ has done for you and you just sit there numb, you do not know the gospel. Andy, you could come on up. We're finishing up. You know what? You know what happens when we do that? You know what happens when we do that? We're able to love our spouses and others into the future. We're able to love them into the, what do I mean? Do you realize that the Bible says that God loves us into the future? Jesus says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. Jeremiah, I knew you before you were even born. 
Paul, think of what you were when Christ called you. Think of where you were. And on and on and on. Apostle Paul spends three, four chapters in each letter just talking about this is who you are. This is what God has done for you. This is who you are. This is God has done for you. Before he says any ethical exhortation. Why? Because what we believe about how God sees us will shape how we behave. God loves you into the future. He doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as you will be. What if we loved each other that way? Michael, what if we loved each other that way? What if you and I treated each other, our spouses, not as they are, but as we want them to be, as we wish they were? What if we treated each other as we wish? You know what? If nothing, we'd be like God. That's not so bad. Let's pray. God loves you so much. He loves you into the future. You have been pulled into the future, child of God. You are beloved. You are radiant. You are holy. You are worthy. You are precious. You are the apple of His eye. You are His beloved. You are anointed. You are blessed. God calls us to love each other the same way. That's called agape love. I want to ask a bold request. We're done. We're just going to pray and go out. But I wonder if there are married couples in our church right now. You came here today. I don't care if you're a part of our church or you're just visiting. You need prayer. You, you need prayer. You need prayer because your marriage is in trouble. You need prayer because it's been really, really hard and you've forgotten why you married in the first place or what marriage is. I want to pray especially for you. I'm not going to have you come forward. After this service, if you need further prayer, do come up. Pastoral staff will be up here to pray for you and with you. But let me pray for you right now. God, I pray for the men and the women in this church. God, I pray for that couple. I pray for that marriage that's in trouble. I pray for that marriage and that couple that's having a hard time. I pray for that marriage and the couple for whom they've forgotten the center, they've forgotten the anchor. I pray for that couple and that marriage, God, that is desperately in need of your spirit's work. And God, far from some supernatural thing that happens, God, your work spirit is that you would remind them today, today, right now, how valuable, how loved, how precious, how worthy they are in your sight and in your eyes. And nothing that they do or don't do could ever change that. God, I pray that you would minister that truth wave upon wave, shower upon shower, wave upon wave, shower upon shower of that truth to come over them and over them and over them and over them and over them. 
over them and over them and over them. That they would walk out of here today, recommitting their lives and their marriage back to you in brokenness and in utter dependence. Father, I pray for the singles. I pray for those that are dating. I just pray for courage. Courage to do what's right, not what feels right. And I pray for the rest of the singles in this room. That as they think about marriage and look forward, God, that they will be absolutely, utterly committed to be radical followers of Jesus who will embrace marriage for all that you have to say. And again, would have the courage to obedient to your principles. Church, let's all stand together as we close and singing this hymn. Make it your response. Think on him, Jesus, your Savior. God remind us that truth as we live out this week in your power in your grace and in your mind in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit I'm going to ask the prayer team as well as the pastoral staff both men and women to come all the way up front if you need prayer instead of rushing out of here come on up Come on up and pray with somebody. Newcomers, we hope to see you at the Newcomers Luncheon. We'll see you next Sunday, you guys, as we talk about issue of sex. Fall kickoff. We'll see you then. Take care.